0: But I'm going to get into the preaching of the Word today because I haven't preached for three weeks, so I am excited. We are in this great I Am teaching series where we are looking at the seven I Am declarations that Jesus made in the Gospel of John. And you remember, we learned that God introduced himself to Moses as I Am. Moses said, I don't know your name. And God said, you tell them, my name is I Am, which in the Hebrew was Ewe, which Moses then changed it to Yahweh, he is, right? And that's where we get the personal name of God, Yahweh. And so when Jesus declared to the Israelite people, before Abraham was, I am, he was declaring that he was God and that he was one with the Father. And so we are looking at the significance of these I am declarations of Jesus and Listening to the podcast these last two Sundays from Liz and Sugi uh, was amazing because uh, it was like they were like total opposites, right? So Liz was just transparent and broken, and it was so beautiful in her brokenness as, as she talked about trusting God with all that she needs and, and him being the good shepherd. And, and then I listened to Sugi's podcast, and Sugi just nerded out on science, which you guys know, I love that kind of stuff, right? And so even as I was listening to the sermon, Sugi, God spoke to me prophetically. And, and he said, when we reflect Jesus, that's evangelism. And when we refract Jesus, that's discipleship, right? So Sugi didn't say that, but God spoke that to me um, But what really jumped out at me was uh, when you said when you're skiing, don't look at the trees, look at the path between the trees. And how many times do we get caught up looking at the trees, the obstacles, the difficulties, the things in life we're afraid of, instead of letting the light of the world light our path between the trees, amen? So that was fantastic. So today is part six. And today we are looking at, technically it's three declarations, but he combines them all into one. And that is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so if you've got your notes, you can find your notes in the bulletin. They're in our church app. They're attached to this video on our website. And they're also attached to this audio if you're listening to the podcast Here's our big picture point today, really simple and straightforward. Jesus is the singular source for everything we need, both for today and for all eternity. And that's going to kind of be our theme as we break down our passage together today, is we're going to look at today and all eternity, that we're going to find the balance within both of those things. But what really jumps out about this declaration, I am the way, the truth, and the life, is the singularity of it, right? Jesus did not say, I am one of many ways. I am one of many truths. I am one of many lives. No, He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus is not one of many. He is singular. He is the only way. And let's be honest, this is the reason why the world hates Christianity, And this is why in the culture that we live in today, we are going to be berated. We are going to be called names, right? They're going to call us bigots. They're going to call us transphobes and homophobes. They're going to call us zealots and fundamentalists. They're going to call us closed-minded. The world is going to call us all sorts of names because the world hates the fact that Jesus declared a singularity in himself. If we were simply to compromise, if we were simply to bow down to the world and say, okay, Jesus is good for me, and whatever you decide is good for you, oh, man, it would all be hunky-dory, right? It would all be wonderful. The world would be like, oh, that's great that you've got Jesus, and we've got something else. But because we stand upon the singularity of Jesus, that he is the only way, the world is going to hate Christianity. And we are going to be derided for our faith. We just have to face that reality. That's part of the singularity. But what that singularity also means is I've got a little mathematical formula for you here. Okay, here's, here's how it works. It's Jesus plus nothing else equals everything we need. That's it. Jesus plus zero equals everything. Jesus plus nothing else is everything that we need. And Liz did a beautiful job of digging into this a couple of weeks ago as, as, as she even shared her story about uh, trusting God with everything that, that, that we need. And so there is no need to plug anything else into the equation. Let's not get caught up in, well, it's Jesus plus a really good job. That's everything I need. Or Jesus plus a great marriage. That's everything I need. Or Jesus and a really nice house. Or Jesus and a little bit of recognition. All right? Nothing. If everything in our lives was stripped away, if we were to live out the story of Job, we would still have everything we need because that is the singularity of Jesus. Amen? C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, Christianity is a statement which, if false, is of no importance, and if true, is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. That's amazing, right? That means the gospel is either everything or it's nothing. It can't be anything in between. It's either everything or it's nothing. The gospel does not fit in side by side with other religious beliefs, with other world views, with other world philosophies. It doesn't fit. It either stands above everything or it's nothing at all. That is the gospel. That is the singularity of Jesus. Who? come on, I'm preaching. We haven't even gotten into our passage yet. Come on. Our passage today is John chapter 14, and so let's, let's pick up where we are in the story. This is the Last Supper. Jesus is having the Last Supper with his disciples, and, uh, and so he's already washed their feet. They've sat down and dined together. He's exposed Judas as the traitor, and Judas has run out of the room, and then he begins to tell his disciples that he is going somewhere that they cannot follow. He is going to the cross. He is going to leave them. And, of course, Peter stands up and says, no, Jesus, I'll die with you. And Jesus says, no, you're going to deny me three times tonight. And so it's in light of him telling his disciples that he is leaving and he is going somewhere that they cannot follow that we now pick it up in John chapter 14 as he tries to now comfort his disciples in the midst of this bad news. Verse 1, Jesus says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Maybe a better way to translate that would be, You have believed in God. Believe also in me. Or even, You trust God. Trust also in me. He says, listen, I know this is bad news. I know this is shaking you right now. I know this is not what you want to hear. But don't be troubled. Trust God. Trust me, there is a plan. It's going to work out. And then he uses this metaphor to describe this plan, to comfort them. And as we read this metaphor, this is where we're going to begin to focus on today and eternity. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. Now, in some Bibles, it's actually mistranslated mansions. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. And so we're like, hey, we all get a mansion in heaven. The word doesn't actually mean mansions. It means dwelling places. In my Father's house are many rooms, right? It's a big, big house, and there's lots and lots of rooms. For those of you that went to church in the 90s. Hallelujah. All right. If it were not so, I would have told you, because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming again and will take you to myself so that where I am, There you also will be, and you know the way where I'm going. So, if we look at this in the light of eternity, it's pretty easy to pick up on, right? My father has a house. There's lots of rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? So he's talking about heaven. We're going to dwell together in God in heaven. We're all going to have a room in God's house. And he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, then I'm going to come back and get you the second coming of Christ as she gathers us uh, to, to live with him for all eternity, right? So the eternal picture is pretty easy to pick up on. But I believe there's also a today picture in this. In my Father's house are many dwelling places or many rooms. My Father's house is the kingdom of God, and we dwell in the kingdom of God right now. When he says, I go and prepare a place for you, the preparing was going through the cross. And by going through the cross, he opened the door for us to dwell in his kingdom. And when he says, if I go, then I will come back and receive you to myself, he came back in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, so that by the Spirit, we can live in the kingdom of God, and we can be in the presence of Jesus, and we can dwell with him today. Whew. You guys following me? So he's speaking to eternity, and he's speaking to today. And then he says, and you know the way, which is interesting because a few minutes ago, he just said, where I'm going, you can't follow. Now he's saying, you know the way. And I was reading the theologian Borchert, or Borchee, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but I was reading his commentary on the Gospel of John, and this is what he says. He says, Jesus was talking about the ultimate relationship of life that humans have with God, which is today, and that has implications for their eternal destiny. When one understands the metaphor from this perspective, the way then becomes more akin to a way of life. So when Jesus says, you know the way, he says... He's talking about a way of life. Now, Hebrews, which again, Jesus was Hebrew, and everybody he's talking to at the Last Supper are all Hebrews. They had an understanding of the Old Testament law that is different than what we have. When we read the Old Testament, which we're doing right now, we're reading Exodus and Leviticus, and so we're reading laws and rules and expectations, and and we just think, oh, this is all rules and this and that. But for Hebrews, living according to the law to them meant walking with God. It wasn't just following rules. It was walking in relationship with God. And again, by the time Jesus came on the scene, they had so lost track of walking with God and had gotten so consumed by following the Sanhedrin's rules But they had this understanding of a way of life. If you read the writings of Paul throughout the New Testament, he said things like walk in love, walk not according to the flesh, walk by the Spirit, some now walk as enemies, walk in a way that is worthy of God. Right? So Paul over and over again uses this Hebrew idea of walking. And the Greek word that he uses is peripatine, which literally means to conduct one's life in a certain way or manner. So when Jesus says, you know the way, he wasn't talking about following a specific rule. He also wasn't talking about just making a one-time decision. Oh, I decided to follow Christ. I went to the altar one time at church. I prayed a sinner's prayer one time. He's not talking about one thing, he's talking about a way of life, conducting yourself in a certain way. He says, You know the way, you know how to live, you know how to conduct yourself. In verse 5, Thomas then says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there again is the singularity of Jesus. I am the only way to the Father. So what I want to do today, and you can see in your notes, is I want to take each of these three elements and break them down as to what they mean in our lives today and what they mean in our lives for all eternity. Amen? So let's start with the way. You'll notice you've got eight blanks in your notes, so I have to go fast as we talk about the way. But what I did is this idea that the only way to the Father is through Jesus is I went and I did a Bible study on all the different passages in the New Testament that spoke of going through Jesus. And out of those passages, I was able to draw out eight things that Jesus is the way to. And some of these things are going to point back to messages we've already preached about Jesus' I am declarations. Let's start with John 10, 9, which I preached three Sundays ago. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So number one, Jesus is the way to salvation. This one's pretty straightforward, right? We understand He is the only way to have our sins forgiven. There is nothing that we can do to atone for our sins. Only perfect blood can redeem sins. And Jesus was the only human being that ever had perfect blood. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the way to salvation. When we go through Him, our sins are forgiven. We are redeemed, and we are restored in relationship with God. Jesus also said, we will go in and out of the sheepfold. What did we learn about that last time? He is the way to security, or what we talked about, to eternal security, right? We are secure in Him. The world can never steal us away from Jesus. The world can never steal away our salvation, We can walk away from it. We can choose to give it up. But it's never going to be taken from us. We are secure in him. Amen. so those two apply to eternity. Let's look at the other six that I believe can also apply to today. Jesus said we would go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus is the way to provision. We find pasture. We find green fields. We find provision for the things that we need Through Jesus. Dang it, they're not in church. They were just late. There's the rest of the gang. All right. Jesus is the way to provision. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we celebrate in hope of the glory of God. So the next three spaces there in your notes is Jesus is the way to peace, the way to grace, and the way to hope. It is only through Jesus that we find peace. And all the chaos that happens all around us in this world, Jesus is the way to peace. It says we are introduced to this grace in which we now stand. Jesus is the way to grace. And grace is what gives us the strength to stand in this world. We don't have to be good by our own ability. We are transformed in the grace of God. And we are able to live for Jesus and be strong in His grace, not in our own strength. And then it says we exalt in hope of the glory of God. Jesus is the way to hope. We find our hope in Him, that we're going to experience everything that God promised, and we never have to lose that hope. Ephesians 2, verses 17 and 18. And He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about Jews and Gentiles, right? Jews were near to God, Gentiles were far from God, but Jesus came and preached peace to both, For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So whether Jew or Gentile, we all have access to the Father through Jesus. Jesus is the way to the Father. So the Bible says we can now boldly come into the throne room of God because we have access through the Spirit of God. And so just picture it, right? We walk into the throne room because we are full of the Holy Spirit. And there is God the Father on the throne, and there is Jesus at the right hand of the throne, and we have access to the Father. Come on. I feel like somebody should be shouting right now, but I guess, I guess it's just me, okay? We can come boldly into the throne room. We can be with the Father. We can experience the fullness of all that He has for us. And finally, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, through his flesh. This is the book of Hebrews. The writer is writing to Hebrew people, so he's using the metaphor of the temple that they would understand, that in the temple, the ark of God sat in the holy place, and the ark of God was symbolic of the presence of God. But they could not go into the presence of God because there was a veil that stood there. And only once a year would the high priest go through the veil to the presence. Now what is it saying? Now it's saying we can all go into the holy place because of the blood of Jesus. We now go through the veil, which is his body. We just took communion today so that we can be in the presence of God. So Jesus is the way to God's presence. And I know some people would say, well, God is omnipresent. His presence is everywhere all the time. Yes, but we also experience the manifest presence of God, the heightened awareness that His presence is here, and we're experiencing Him in a heightened way. We have access to that through Jesus. He is the way. Come on, he is the way to salvation, the way to security, the way to provision, the way to peace, the way to grace, the way to hope. He is the way to the Father, and he is the way into God's presence. We know the way. Come on. And the way is not just one decision, one time that we prayed for Jesus. The way is a way of life that we live every day surrendered to the lordship of Jesus because we believe in him. Come on. He is the way. Jesus also said, I am the truth. When he was on trial before Pilate, Jesus said, I have come to testify of the truth. And Pilate rhetorically, bitterly responded, what is truth? So that's a great question. If Jesus is the truth, what is truth? I love this definition from John MacArthur. John MacArthur is a great preacher, pastor, writer, writer. He's Calvinist. We'll forgive him for that. But this, I think, is an amazing definition of truth. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. That's what's true. If it's consistent with who God is, then it's true. And if it's not consistent with who God is, then it's not the truth. I believe it was the Truth Project where I heard this, but... uh, 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 It's like a video series that you watch, but uh, one of the teachings they said when they tried to describe truth is they said, truth is that which adheres to the original. Truth is that which adheres to the original. Who is the original? God. He has existed before time began. God has always been. He will always be. God is the original. So what is truth? Everything that adheres to God. MacArthur goes on to say that truth is also ontological which is a fancy way of saying it's the way things really are. Reality is what it is because God declared it so and made it so. Therefore, God is the author, source, determiner, governor, arbiter, ultimate standard, and final judge of all truth. Woo! God has all say. What is truth? Anything that reflects the reality and the character of who God is. That is truth. And we know from the Bible that God is the God of truth. Psalm 31.5, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus actually repeated that when he hung on the cross. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. The psalmist recognizes the God of truth. Isaiah 65, 16, Isaiah says, Because the one who blessed me on the earth will be blessed by the God of truth, and the one who swears an oath on the earth will swear by the God of truth. God is the God of truth. We also know that the Bible, the Word of God, is truth. Psalm 119 Of course, the theme of the entire psalm is that the word of God is truth. But if you were just to pick one verse, verse 160, the sum of your word is truth. The sum, everything added together from the Bible is truth. John 17, as Jesus prayed for his disciples, he said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So if God is truth, and the Word of God is truth, what does that mean about Jesus? Well, John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is both God and the Word, which means Jesus is the full embodiment of truth. He is the perfect reflection of God the Father. The Bible says no one has ever seen the Father, but Jesus reveals Him to us. Jesus is the embodiment of everything that is true. And truth never changes. It's not subjective. It's not up to our perspective or our personal opinion. And that means that truth is for today and truth is for all eternity. Amen? What about the life? There's life for today and there is life for eternity. Let's talk about life for today. John chapter 1. In him was life. And the life was the light of mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it or conquer it or overcome it. First John 1.5, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light... It's like a 90s theme today, right? Was that Newsboys? I want to be in the light. Okay, so anyway. Um, oh, DC Talk. I'm sorry. My wife grew up in the church in the 90s. She, she knows. Huh? Was I? That's a miracle because that doesn't happen. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We have life for today, and that life means walking in the light of God. And I don't have to spend a lot of time on this because Sugi did a phenomenal job last week teaching us what it means to live in the light of God. Hallelujah. But life is also for eternity because the promise is that we will be resurrected into eternal bodies. Going back to what I preached like five Sundays ago, John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me will live even if he dies. Right? So even if we die, we know that we're going to have eternal life because we're going to be resurrected into eternal bodies. And then I love this in 1 John. It says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ, This is the true God and eternal life. If we know the truth, then we have the promise of life. Hallelujah. So, from this point, Jesus then goes into one of the common themes of the Gospel of John, is I and the Father are one. And so he starts talking about that, and then Philip says, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus is like, have you been with me all this time and you still don't get it? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because we're one. And then in verse 11, he continues, John 14, 11, there we go. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. He's like, listen, you've got to believe me that I and the Father are one. But even if you don't believe my words, look at all the works that I've done. Right? The blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak. Believe because of the works that I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, he will do because I'm going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So Jesus implores his disciples, believe in me. And then he goes on to describe what will our life look like today, not for eternity, but what will our life look like today if we believe. And I'm out of time, so I'm going to give you these four really quick. If we believe, number one, we will do the same works as Jesus. So everything that Jesus did, what did he do? He fed the hungry. He cared for the poor. He comforted the afflicted. He also afflicted the comfortable. Hallelujah. He healed the sick. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. Everything that Jesus did, he said, if you believe in me, you're going to do it also. So we have to look at our lives and say, in my life, am I doing the same works as Jesus? He then says, we will do greater works than him. Now, this is a hard one to interpret, It makes me think about eating out, okay? So when you're eating out, you've got to choose between quality or quantity, right? Now, I'm a big guy. I like to eat, so I'm a quantity guy, right? We went to a restaurant for Mother's Day, and I won't say what it was because I don't want to throw them under the bus, and the food was phenomenal. The food was so good, but we spent hundreds of dollars, and I walked away hungry, I was like, we're going to have to stop at Taco Bell on the way home because I didn't get enough food. All right, so some people choose quality, but I choose quantity, right? That's why I love number one. Hey, the food's not that great, but for 10 bucks, I can get full. Come on. Hallelujah. So in the same way, when Jesus said we're going to do greater works than him, Was He talking about quality or quantity? Was He talking about the quality of the works? Now, we know that all the works that Jesus did had one purpose. That was to point people to the Father so that they could come into the kingdom of God. So does that mean that there are quality of works that we can do in our lives today that will point people to the Father even greater than Jesus did? Or is it quantity? Was Jesus referring to the fact that He Himself was just one person, but now today there's like a billion Christians, and so there's a billion more people doing the works of Jesus, so in quantity it's greater? I don't know the answer. I think we could fall either way and look at our lives and say, am I doing greater works than Jesus did? He also said that we would glorify God through answered prayers. He said, if you, whatever you ask in my name, I will do so that the Father might be glorified in the Son. Now, we misinterpret this in our wonderful American way of thinking that if I just attach the name of Jesus to anything, I'm going to get it. When I was in the Master's Commission, this was a long time ago, but one of the students that was in the Master's Commission with me, he had this thing. Anywhere we were out in town, if a motorcycle drove by, he would say, thank you, Jesus, for my motorcycle. And he did it for months and months every time. Thank you, Jesus, for my motorcycle. Right? He just thought if he added the name of Jesus to it, he was going to get a motorcycle. That's not what this verse means. Asking something in Jesus' name means that we're asking it in alignment with his will, with his heart, and his mission. And if we're asking in alignment with those things, and we have to throw in his timing, right? Because we don't always get the answers when we want that he will do it. And when he does it, God will be glorified. And so that means that if we believe in him, that we will pray prayers in alignment with the heart of Jesus. And when we do that, he will answer us. And when we get answers to our prayer, God is going to be glorified in our lives. Is that what our lives look like? And finally, we will be obedient to his commandments. If we believe in him, we will live in obedience to everything he asked us to do. Let me have the worship team come back up today. I want to close just by giving us a couple of questions to ask ourselves in light of the singularity of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, both for today and for all eternity. He is everything that we need. And so the first question to ask ourselves is this. Are we living as if Jesus is the only way? Are we living as if Jesus is the only way? Or have we added other things into our lives? Are we depending on other things and trusting in other things? Are we, have we combined the world with the gospel and made it nothing? Or are we living as Jesus is the only way? And the second question to ask ourselves is, do our lives reflect what Jesus said we would do if we believe? If we were to do an honest assessment of our lives today, are we doing the same works as Jesus? Are we doing greater works than Jesus? Are we glorifying God through our answered prayers? And are we living in obedience to His commands? Do our lives reflect what Jesus said would happen if we believe? And so I want to challenge us here in this place, in the presence of God, that we would be honest with ourselves about these questions. And if the answer to either question is no then we would be open to the Holy Spirit speaking to us today, showing us what needs to shift, what needs to change in our lives, that we would live in the singularity of Jesus and that we would live as those who believe in him as the only way to the Father. Amen? Can I pray for you? Jesus, will you speak to us today? Spirit of Christ, will you come and bring revelation to our hearts? Lord, would we be honest with ourselves? Is there some place in our life that doesn't line up with you being the way, the truth, and the life? Is there something in our life that shows that we're not believing you to be everything that we need? And Lord, if that is the case, would you speak to each one of us? Lord, in your compassionate, and your tender way, would you show us? Show us what we need to bring to the consuming fire. Show us what we have been trusting in or leaning on or needing that is not of you, Lord. Would you show us? And would you show us the shift that needs to happen in our time, in our priorities, in our attitudes, in our worldviews, in our boldness, in the way we're sharing the kingdom? Would you show us, Lord, what needs to shift that we might be a reflection of your people? And would you cause us, Lord, to stand firm in this day? Though we be derided for the singularity of Jesus, we will not bow down. We will not conform. We will not compromise. We are your children. We are the people of your kingdom. And we know that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. So, Lord, we will stand in your truth. We will live by your standard. And, Lord, let us be a light that shines upon this world, that draws the world to you. Jesus, Jesus, transform us even now in this moment in your presence. Lord, that we might leave here ready to walk in the newness that you've called us to. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me have the altar team come forward right now. If there's anything you need prayer for today, if you have not made the decision of salvation, then today could be your day to make the decision. I'm going to surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus and I'm going to receive the forgiveness for all my sins. You can come forward and ask somebody to pray for you. If your answer to any of these two questions was no, you can ask somebody to pray for you, and we will join with you and believe for God's work in your life. Or if you need prayer for anything, anything's going on in your life, come forward and receive prayer. Let's be the church as we minister one to another today. Thank you, Jesus. After a few minutes of prayer, we're going to sing a song and lift up the name of God in this place.